Hello, Liz. How are you? Let me turn down this music a little more here. This is Jim, the Keys bartender, coming to you from the Keys. The Florida Keys. You know, the string of islands just kind of like dribbling off from the end of if Florida were a penis, it looks like the money shot, and that's the Florida Keys. No insult to the Florida Keys. Sorry for the metaphor or the imagery. But to get on with the theme of Keys Bartender, I want to talk originally when I started the podcast, one of the first episodes was called Aptly Blue Cheese Olives, Blue Cheese Stuffed Olives. And I had several people recently, since I've been doing martinis, they've been saying, hey, you should do Blue Cheese Stuffed Olives. And, you know, there, there is a thing. If we, if we weren't such a high-volume place for the size we were, it would kind of make sense to make them. Like a small place, I would hand-make them as they, people came in. If it was like a specialty restaurant where I'm making 30 uh, cocktails an hour, during peak and I can just stuff the olives as they go because otherwise people suggest you buy those pre-made ones which are shit or we stuff them ourselves and we used to do a lot of blue cheese olives at the previous place I worked the fish house encore right up the road they're no longer around so I don't feel bad about talking about them but we did a lot of martinis and we would stuff we'd have like at least 20 to 30 Blue cheese olives stuff. Now, the thing with blue cheese olives, here I am, I mentioned it how many times, is that half the people that want them are people that don't even drink martinis. They just want them as a appetizer. And they're a pain in the ass, and you got to rotate your stock. You don't want them sitting around because it's blue cheese, and you really never know when blue cheese goes bad because... It's moldy already, right? That's the blue part of the cheese. And then people ask, oh, you should have blue cheese olives. Now, it's, a, it's interesting. You got to get blue cheese crumbles and you do it. From, uh, I would do it, but there's just like every time you add something to your work list, that's just another thing that you have to get ready prior to your shift. And everyone has their own thing. They like to have the special rimming salt and all these things you put on your glasses. But fresh squeezed juices. There was a guy I worked with. He used to have, he brought. He came in as a craft bartender at a restaurant I was working. And he was making his own bitters and doing all these things. But he, he really didn't know much about the dealing with customers. I know, it's almost like saying, oh yeah, they're book smart, but they don't have any common sense. Well, I meant he was, in the sake of being a craft bartender, going over you know these hurdles that you really didn't need to do, having all these different juices. Once you squeeze them, let's say grapefruit juice, orange juice, lime juice, and then making your own bitters. Bitters last forever, though. 
But making those juices, you got to use them. So he would make all these juices, and then eventually at the end of the week, you'd have to throw them out. And that's where it goes when you get blue cheese olives, and then you get one guy says, oh, why can't you stuff this with prosciutto or feta or feta prosciutto? And I go, well, it could do that. But then again, once you have, it's like, it makes sense to have 38 flavors of ice cream because they last forever. Or a keg system, we have 200 kegs when you use nitrogen in your line. So the kegs, once you tap them, they don't turn, right? That's what nitrogen is in, or whatever system they use to keep the beer fresh from turning. Oxygen is the stuff that really kind of hurts beer if you don't go through it enough and it sits on the line. So you got all these things and when does it end? When does it end? Like you have blue cheese olives, prosciutto stuffed olives, and then they have contests for making the nice stuffed olives and then there's people just coming in and eating your fucking olives. Except not ordering a martini. So... I just wanted to address that, and it sounds like a bit session, and I apologize for that. That being said, it must be really nice to have a fresh blue cheese olive here sometimes, you know? Now, addressing on another note, late night crowds is going to sound like people that come in right before closing. Well, due to COVID-19, not everyone realizes, you know, when you have a bar that down here in the Keys, that sums close at 9 o'clock. And at the end of the night, psychology behind it, you know, we're in a restaurant, you want to make feel everyone feel welcome to come in here, you want to make them feel like they want to stay. You want them to stay. But there's such a thing as if you worked your butt off all day, a lot of times, just put yourself in their feet, in their shoes. You can't put themselves in food. It would be probably appropriate considering the topic we're going to be talking about later, but putting some yourself into someone else's experience or shoes, right? Walking a mile in their moccasins. What do you like to do at the end of work? If you like staying at work after you're done working, then this is not the topic for you. So at the end of work, if you like staying there, if you, you know, you're an ER nurse or you're a let's pick someone who works at the counter at the cash cash is 7-Eleven you just want to hang after you're done working hang out after my shift's done you could there's all sorts of reasons sometimes you like your co-workers and you want to just hang out with them or you don't have any place else to go but most people when they're done work they want to go home or leave or go someplace else but the last place you want to do is stay there so when people come in, they have this thing, this dance around that you do. Now, if you're a conscientious worker, you hear all these things. You want to make everyone feel welcome. You close at 10 o'clock. Someone comes in at 5 or 10, and you got to see them. That's when it, the thing is. And it's hard to tell the kitchen that. But, you know, and after, let's say it's 1030, quarter of 11 and they've been done eating for 45 minutes and it's a half hour 45 minutes after you've closed everything and they're not having another drink just hanging talking 
And then they ask, are we keeping you here? Are we holding you up? They'll passively say, we should leave so you could close up and go home. And do you want us to leave? And the answer your head, yes, 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 go, go, get out, get to go to fucked home. And it's not because we don't want you there. It's that when you're done, you're done, right? And we'd like to go. There's only a certain amount of cleaning. A lot of times when wherever you are, like if they have to do the floors and they have to do the tables, the table you're at is one of the things you have to do. The floor that you're surrounding you has to be done. They really can't mop around you because you don't want to have a wet floor. Think of it as if you had a relative or a friend over and you're ready to go and do something else. Right? And if it's a good friend, they could go and do it with you. So, I mean, obviously, a good friend coming in, and they could start. I've, I've had people when I worked in the catering business, people would come in and help me close up, meaning clean up, do things. They do that in restaurants. Uh, sometimes you have a partner, the husband, the wife, the girlfriend, the boyfriend of whoever coming in and hanging out. Yeah. They're sleeping with the person. They have an honorary position. But there's other people that you're just, and I hate to say this because I'm in the business, but yeah, you really can't say, I'm ready to do other things. And it's the same thing on when you have a relative, you're talking to your mom, talking to your dad on the phone, talking to your love of your life. And you're ready to go to the bathroom, ready to take a shower, you're ready to get ready to go to the gym. Or whatever these things. And you're ready to do it. And they call you and you're on the phone. That's the same thing. You say, well, listen, we exchanged our information. We did our transaction. I will see you a little later. But uh, I got things I got to do. I want to go home. I want to get some sleep. My plans at the end of the night does not include you hanging out with your friends for an extra hour. And there are people like that. They'll just sit there forever. They'll sit there forever after they're done and just talk. And they either, they're so engrossed with it, it's a rarity. Sometimes people go out and they don't do it often. They don't do it on purpose. They just get caught up in the moment. They're just having a great time and they that's all they do. But then there's people that habitually do it. The habitual offenders, they're aware of it. They've been to other places where they've done it. They've done it at your place. They'll do it at someone else's place. They don't care. And that's the ones that really gets under people's skin. I've done it before. I mean, I've been that person. I've been to bars and nightclubs and after-hour clubs. There was a one in Philadelphia called the Yacht Club I used to go to all the time. And the Sheffield Tavern. These are two that I know. But th- that I know I recall them saying at the end of the night, flashing the lights, you know, hitting the switch twice, and saying closing time, yelling really, you know. And they've actually said, you, you know, you don't have to go home, but you can't fucking stay here. And... You know, at the time, you're hanging out, you're talking to someone. 
uh, for me and my friends, we'd be like, hey, let's go someplace else. There was in Philadelphia, there's always an after hours club or something like that. And we we had, uh, you have multiple memberships. You get, you, you know, these after hour clubs, Pennsylvania and different places have these. When they have restrictive rules, let's say they get closed restricted two o'clock. But, you know, it's restrictive if you get out at 12 and you get there at 1230 and you want to hang out for and they start closing up like 15 minutes You know, two o'clock. So you know, you got an hour, fifteen minutes. I'm trying to explain myself. The guy, I don't even drink anymore. But there was one. It was interesting because two o'clock was closing time, and the after-hour club that I went to most frequently, the Columbia Yacht Club, their closing time was three o'clock. So that only gave you an extra hour. So you had to gauge. Well, I'm getting out of work at twelve. I'm going to hang out for two and a half, three hours. So I go directly to. The Yacht Club. But then if you get to the Yacht Club at midnight, there's no one there. And it's between 1.30 and quarter of three that it's most crowded. Actually, quarter three o'clock. They stopped letting people in at probably quarter of three. Saying, well, listen, we're closing in 15 minutes. You're not even going to probably get one drink. And at that point, it would be like four or five deep at the bar. And then you had the big burly bouncer, Ted. I remember his name, Ted. Nice guy. And he'd just start doing that. And I I would consciously try not to be the last person or the last 10 people. And if me leaving helped, I would leave early, even earlier. As soon as he said, well, it's time to go now. Because I, I disliked it when I had to hang out. It wasn't as bad in catering. And so it was really weird because usually... You'd have at most maybe 45 minutes. And these people just fucking got married. You have people that have a meal, you know, a $70 meal and a glass or two of wine. And they're they're hanging out longer than people would that just got married. I've been to places where the people, I was friends with the people and they said, oh, you don't have to go. You can hang here. Or, you know, a girl's closing up. She doesn't want to be the only one there. So she'd ask you to stay and you wait. You know, have a couple extra beers. But uh, they can't charge you. They can give you a beer, but they can't charge you. That was, I guess that was the rule. I didn't know. But chances are, if you're, if you notice on a regular, obviously if you stay there regularly, if you're one of the habitual offenders, you don't, you don't fucking care. It's not about me. It's not, it's not about you, meaning it's not about the worker. It's I want to do what I want when I want it. There's people down here like that. And they do that passive-aggressive thing where they ask you and say, oh, are we keeping you here and things like that. And they know perfectly well. They're the reason you're still there. You know? Why don't you want to stay here? I mean... A lot of times you're not even included in their conversation. Not that I want to be included in their conversation. At the end of the night, I got things I got to do, right? And I take care of them. And I'll do it. And if they're all spread out and stuff, I really can't do any of it. So I'm waiting. So normally if it's going to take 45 minutes, however late they're staying, it's 45 minutes after that. 
A lot of people think once they leave, yo, we can go right out the door. That's not true. We got shit to do, as you do. But next time, if you feel that's not a problem, give me a call about 10 minutes before you're closing up wherever you're working and allow me to keep you there for 45 minutes to an hour to see how convenient that is. So on that note, prior to, I think I should talk about the Catch Restaurant, Mile Marker 102. It's open every day for lunch and dinner and has happy hour specials from 3.30 to 6.30, Monday through Friday, with great happy hour food and drink prices. They have a great selection of food and non-dishes. And if you have your own catch, you bring it in, they'll prepare it any way you want. It's at mile marker 102 Oceanside in Key Largo. And if you come there, tell them the Keys bartender sent you. Okay? And don't tell them the Keys bartender sent you if you can come in like five minutes before closing. Tell them someone else sent you. Okay? So... And, but it's funny. We have regulars that come in all the time. They just don't remember. They don't care. Uh, what I mean is they don't care. They just, they, there are people that are thoughtless. And when I say doing something thoughtless, thoughtless is actually a much maligned word. Thoughtless meaning you don't give a thought to it. Now, that's not a horrible thing. If you do something without thought, as long as it's not horrible... We have people that say, oh, we're going to stop by this restaurant and not give a thought to what time it is. They never do the time thing. They just come in. It's either open or it's not open. If it's not open, they go. So that's no big deal. And I'm not talking about like that. We matter. Now, if you know for certain and you're calling, what time do you close? Like you kind of knew that. Maybe you should have got off your ass a little earlier. So, oh, right after doing a commercial for a uh, restaurant, that's. Jim, you're an asshole, right? I'm sorry about that. If you're a close follower of the show, you will know about two years ago, my daughter came back from Poland with us. We all, well, I wasn't with them because I went with them and they stayed an extra two weeks. And it wasn't last year, it was two years, yeah, about two years ago this summer coming up. She came back and decided she wasn't going to be eating any meat from land animals. So no Pork, no chicken, no poultry, no red meat, none of that stuff. All plant protein or seafood. That's just what she came back. She saw a video. She, she decided that it was animal cruelty and she didn't want to eat anything with a normal face. Okay? But they wouldn't have a problem with fish since fish have faces. But she, she doesn't think that they think. Or they, she thinks they're on a different experience level than humans and and land animals, which I didn't want to get her diet even more narrowed. And besides that, my wife, she didn't eat that much red meat in the beginning. She was good for maybe six ounces every other week of red meat, some poultry twice a week, a little seafood, and lots of salad. She wouldn't even eat that much pasta. She started, over the last two years, started eating more of spaghetti, squash, and things like that. And she's, 
got away from that. So when you're two people, two-thirds of my household, except for Roxy, my dog, became virtually became more vegetarian or vegetarian-leaning, I became much more. I ate prior to years ago, before meeting Abby, I would have steak maybe three times a week. And then the other times would be burgers. Sometimes it'd be chicken. But I'd have to say I was 70% red meat, 20% poultry or 25% poultry and 5% seafood. When I first came down here, I had a heavy seafood diet, but then I got cured of that after eating too much seafood. So it wasn't, it didn't take that long. Today, I had a little meat before I, for breakfast and things like that, you know, breakfast sausage and and some rice. But the rule of thumb is I don't eat as much red meat. I'm down to probably, Christ, 25% or 20% of my protein intake is red meat. And then a large section is poultry. Then you got cheeses and things like that. So that was a quick conversion for me. And I thought, wow, because you know what subject came up? Cannibalism. I read an article that early humans, I was thinking about it, and I said, wow, that kind of makes sense. Cannibalism, our humanoid ancestors and prehistory humans you know, pre-written hints, there's a lot of cannibalism that goes on. And the reason for it was because of the ease of getting the protein. It was an easy prey. You know, you're human. You knew the capabilities of other humans. Taking down a buffalo or an ox or a horse was a little more difficult and took a lot of energy. But coming up behind a sickly human or a weaker one, like two of them, they, they had a better chance, even though you didn't get as much protein off the human. And I thought, wow, that must have been a real thing. They said that in the, in the studies I was re- reading, that they found markings with teeth marks and cutting marks on human bones. And you could tell that they were mixed in. The bones were mixed in with animal bones for early humans and I wonder what the transition was like that and then eventually cannibalism fell out of favor came taboo humans stopped eating they, there was isolated tribes up until the 19, early 1900s that still ate human and there's outlier groups that still do that as a maybe cultish thing or religious some there's probably a couple there may be a couple tribal groups that still do it, but by and large, that practice has disappeared, except among certain people, right? You got Arm and Hammer, you have that cannibal cop, you have Jeffrey Dahmer, and you think, well, it's not that very long ago. If you think like six, seven thousand years ago, when humans were mostly in the small hunter-gatherer communities, 
most of them, and then the first community were rising eight 8,000 years ago. So it wasn't that unusual. And then you had people start saying probably, let's say 100,000, 200,000 years ago, they say Neanderthal used to eat other humanoid species and Neanderthals were eaten also. At one time, there had to be people say, listen, there's other sources of food other than that, other than the other protein. And also, what's wrong with eating a salad every so often? Or having a tuber? Or root vegetable? You don't have to go and eat your uncle. We can just bury that guy. Now imagine that when you're able to take your food, take other food that people used to eat and say, well, this, we don't, I'm sorry, when our uncle dies, we gotta, we're going to put him in a ceremonial pit. We're not going to eat him. I mean, in the extreme circumstances, they still did that in the 1800s. You had the Donner Party, which was a Mormon Mormons making their way out west who got stuck in, i got to remember, the cat. I don't know if it was the Cascades or the um, Sierra Nevadas in a winter storm. And they ate their deceased as well as their Uruguayan rugby team in the 1970s. They decided, you know, they were stuck without food and they were starving, so they said, well, there's a source of protein right over there. And then they resorted to cannibalism. And there's a famous story. What's the, the name? It's a British... I forget, uh, Dudley and Stevens. There were four men on a sailing yacht in the 18... Uh, late 1800s. And they were sailing from Southampton to uh, Southampton, England to... Melbourne, Australia, I think it was. And about 1,600 miles off when they were in the north, you know, still in kind of in the North Atlantic, they, the boys floundered, ended up in a lifeboat, and they had, there was four men. One of them was the cabin boy, last name Parker, 17 years old. And he ended up going in a coma. And two of the other men, of the two of the three men, and which was, what are we saying? The name was Dudley and Stevens, and the third one was Brooks. And I don't think Brooks wanted to do it, but Dudley and Stevens suggested that they eat the cabin boy. It's always a fucking cabin boy, isn't it? They may, I saw the movie The Cabin Boy, and I thought, oh, you think, but the cabin boy was in a coma. And they decided that they would kill him and eat him. And it was a British law. It was a not a law, more of a, a custom of necessity. When necessity would require, then, you know, cannibalism wouldn't be the bad thing. Cannibalism or, or throwing people overboard or anything. That was a, a maritime custom, I think. And the British at that time wanted to, be more, I guess they decided to become more civilized because when these guys got rescued by a German sailing vessel and brought back to England, 
the prosecutor decided that this is not something that should be practiced anymore, whether a necessity or not. We didn't want you to kill someone. So it was the killing of the cabin boy that they had a problem with. And then, you know, it's taboo all the way over. There's still people talking about it. Just like I said, Kano, we still use that, you know, I'm going to eat you up. You look so good, I'm going to eat you up. You too, oh my God. And we use these metaphors for taking someone in that way. And you think, well, that's that's kind of gross. But it's not that far off when you think to think about it. And evolutionary-wise, it's less than 10,000 years where that was probably a regular practice in a lot of groups. And 10,000 years is not, is just a drop in the bucket for our ancestors. So how much has changed? How much is left in there? And it's not unusual to think that when you, you we would look at cartoons and and comedy shows there was on a Seinfeld uh, episode Newman was uh, taking care of a burnt a sunburnt Cosmo Kramer and he lathered he got put butter all over his burnt body to particular uh, you know keep the burn moist and Kramer's there looking at uh, not Kramer. Newman's looking at Kramer, and he just visualizes the turkey. And I think Newman was on a diet or something like that, and he said he smelled like turkey or whatever. Now, I don't think Newman was ever on a diet in that show. But you see in all sorts of cartoons and things like that, people looking at other people. The cannibalism is a, is a thing. And if you think about it, people said, I would never do that. It's really hard to throw the first stone and accuse someone of being an animal when you're not in that situation where you're starving. Has anybody, are there a lot of, there's not a lot of people, if you're able to listen to this podcast, unless you were in a shipwreck or stuck in a wilderness, you rarely are that far away from the food source or snack. So it would be hard to judge somebody that way. So when we come into a restaurant and we're eating and then you're looking at someone, you got people that are vegetarians and thinking, wow, this is really disgusting, people eating animals. Well, just think of people that are eating animals looking at people that are eating people. The way we have animals. And someday people may be looking at us, the people that eat meat, in the same way we look at people that eat, you know, eat other people. I mean, that's going to be... We're on that side of history. And then they're going to say fish and all this stuff. And if they're if we're able to raise meat like a plant... And don't get me started about plants because people say, well, I don't want to eat animals because they have consciousness. Well, if you're an pan-humanist or whatever, pan something or other, you believe everything has consciousness. Every object has consciousness, which is their idea, not necessarily mine. I don't eschew it. I don't negate it. I just 
or accept it. It's, it's just a possibility. So if things have to have a nervous system or things like that, supposedly some vegetable products or plants set off some kind of spores or, or has a reaction when an herbivore approaches them. So that's a response. So anything that gives a response is living and conscious, right? Of something at a certain level. Not conscious as a human level. I think that's called anthropomorphizing. When you attribute a human quality to a non-human entity. But that doesn't mean just because a dog doesn't think like a human or talk like a human doesn't mean it doesn't have that experience. I use, I really hate seeing those things when you see about abuse of animals all around the world and we look at them like they're savages, people that do stuff like that. They're evil savages. But then again, remember, we those things. Our ancestors did those things. And it's a long road. It's a long road. And someday people will be looking at us, the people that, well, there's people that did the slaughtering and then there are people that ate the byproduct of the slaughtering. And who was worse? You know, obviously if you didn't have an, just like the drug trade, didn't have a consumer, you wouldn't have a black market. Right? I don't know why we got there from cannibalism and stuff like that. I was just thinking about that, how much I wanted meat today and thought, wow, if I was really stuck without it, how much would the neighbor look good to me? Right? But fortunately, think about that. I don't want to be in that situation where I have to decide. And uh, I would like to think that I would never eat another person because I think about, oh, well, I have a hard time coming back from that. I don't think I could ever be a vegetarian after that. Because where's your boundaries? Once you had someone's femur, right? Or trapezius muscle or whatever. If you ate, ate some of that, what's the point? You say, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not eating meat anymore. <laughs> you know, you, it's the, the extreme ends of the, you know, the, if you had a, a range, one end you have the cannibalism, the others have the radical vegetarian or raw food movement, I guess. So, that'd be a hard transition. Thanks again for listening. This is Jim the Keys Bartender. I'm going to leave it at that. If you like the show, please share it with your friends. If you want to send us a comment, try jim at keysbartender.com. Thank you very much and have a great day.